Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book that shares the same name of this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it just takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times, and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes, including one with the sleep whisperer, Ingrid Pruer, who provides a ton of tips about sleep, stress, and self-care. Or last week's episode with veteran journalist and anchor, Sarah Cody who shares stories and suggestions on how to navigate the news, knowing that it's stressful for so many of us right now. Now, if you've liked these episodes or others, please tell your friends and do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get ranked higher and thus get noticed. And now for this episode, I am excited to introduce you to Dana Donafrey, cancer survivor, patient advocate, fashion designer and founder of Ana Ono Intimates. Dana and I talk about the sisterhood within those touched by cancer or truly any mutual hardship. We pay a loving tribute to our dear friends who are the life of the parties, passionate trailblazers, and dynamic advocates for metastatic breast cancer research. Champagne Joy of Cancerland and Metaviver and Dr. Rebecca Timlin Scalera of the Cancer Couch Foundation. Now, this is an intense episode with many tears, but also in the true spirit of these friends of ours, they would want us to have some fun too, and so we do just that. Dana is brilliant, bold, and beautiful inside and out, so please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am so excited for today's episode. I'm here with Dana Donafrey of Ana Ona Intimates about the sisterhood within those touched by cancer. I always have really mixed emotions around October, Breast Health Awareness Month. As a two-time breast cancer survivor, living, thriving, healing, whatever we call it, through stage four disease, I am thrilled for all the money raised toward research and the education around early stage and metastatic breast cancer. Though it's hard. I live with cancer every day, not just in October. The ins and outs of treatments, the preventative measures, the fears, the unknowns for so many cancer patients. That is every day, every, every day. And sometimes the intention in October, frankly, is overwhelming. While I'm incredibly grateful, and so many of us are, it just can be overwhelming. So Dana and I are here today having a raw conversation about some of the support within the the cancer community. So please let me introduce Dana. She is a breast cancer survivor first diagnosed at age 27. She's a patient advocate for Metaviver and proud board member of Living Beyond Breast Cancer. She's also the founder of Ana Ona Intimates. She created Ana Ona after looking tirelessly for beautiful and sexy lingerie while she was in recovery. See, with a fashion background, she decided to create her own and made it her mission to design beautiful garments for those who've had breast reconstruction, surgery, 
mastectomy, or living with any other conditions that cause pain or discomfort. And let me tell you, I know the Ana Ona page bra is my favorite and is amazing. As somebody with implants, I can't use underwires, and so there are not too many bras to choose from, although I have been known to find some cute ones and then actually go in and cut them and thus kind of... uh, lose the integrity of the bra. So I'm incredibly grateful for you, Dana, and for Ana Ono Intimates. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. What an amazing introduction. I I am just smiling from ear to ear. I just love it. Well, I am so glad we met, and I can't wait as we get into more of this podcast to tell all the listeners about how we met. But first, Dana, will you share a little bit about your breast cancer story? Because I believe there's so much hope and help in knowing other stories? I think it's very interesting um, because my breast cancer story is evolving and changing like many of us, but it started 10 years ago uh, when I was 27 years old, about to turn 28, um, had a planned wedding in Las Vegas uh, (laughs) to party with my friends (laughs) And uh, the dreaded call from the doctor that changed my life um, came to me when I was out shopping for my honeymoon clothes with my mom and my soon-to-be mother-in-law. And um, it was totally earth-shattering. I mean, at 27 years old, 10 years ago, right. I, I'll be completely honest. I, I don't think that we knew that young women got breast cancer. No, I, totally. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't either. Uh, yeah, the world wasn't showing young women with breast cancer. I mean, my doctor told me I was 0.01% of women that were diagnosed annually. And, uh, you know, it was just really incredibly isolating and sad and uh, lost. And and I ended up with a, a early stage diagnosis, stage one HER2 positive, ER positive with incredible, um, incredibly high Onca type score. And um, a lot of bad things working against me, but um, I'm here 10 years later and I thank the world that I get every morning to put my feet on the ground. And I think that that's um, what I get to do every day. So I know that in my life, um, living as a young breast cancer patient for 10 years, uh, starting a business in the space, but also advocating and, you know, activating for different organizations and being a part of this community um, is just equally as important uh, to me and how I'll live my life in the future. Well, and and that's how I met you. I -hmm. had heard of you really, or I knew of you, I should say, for years just through our mutual friends and breast cancer, cancer circles. I I knew that you had hosted that first New York Fashion Week event and it received all this global attention because these cancer survivors were walking down the runway showing their topless scars. And, you know, to the world that was like, whoa, I think to all of us in the cancer community, it really educated people like this is what breast cancer has done to our bodies. It shows no boundaries. And I think that's such a beautiful thing because I know that this was the vision of your friend who was friends with my friend, Champagne Joy, who is the founder of Cancerland. And I had heard, I never met her. And though my friend Rebecca Timlin Scalera talked so much about her, she was this advocate, this educator, this color inspirational angel for metastatic breast cancer. <laughs> but I mean, I want you to to describe her because she was, you know, this force with a kind heart. And I think her mantra was something like glitter as you go. Can you just <laughs> shine a little light on who Champagne Joy was? 
Oh God, I have chills all over my body. I know she is here with me right now and she's telling me, do not screw this up. <laughs> oh, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't. <laughs> no, that was champagne. She, um, champagne joy. And I met, I, I spoke at one of my first public speaking engagements with an organization called life bulb and champagne joy was there in the room and champagne walks into any room and demands your attention. It's not like she asks for it. Uh-huh. She demands it. And it comes and oozes out of every pore of her body from how she expresses herself to the way that she talks to how she engages with people. I mean, literally just somebody incredibly special that uh, is a truly, truly unique individual. And when I met Champagne, I went up and I spoke to her after I, I talked because she stood in the front row and I said, you know, I, I would love to get to know you. And as we're talking, somebody comes up to her and says, oh, I just have to know what you are all about. <laughs> and Champagne looks at me and she looks back at the woman and she goes, okay. And she's like, what is your name? And Champagne's like, Champagne Joy. And the woman goes, is that your real name? And Champagne goes, of course it is. And I was just like, yes, this is my woman. I love her already. Like no bullshit from anybody. And, um, you know, when you break through those layers, you know, she was very uh, artistic and was full of expression from wearing a different colored wig every day of the week to her manic panic eyeshadow to oh my her. Gosh lips and yeah. her face and just, you know, knowing her loves and her passions, it all makes so much sense to me. But, you know, in reality, like it, it was the way that she got people to pay attention. And listen, when Champagne Joy said something, you paid attention. And yeah, I mean, an, an angel for the metastatic breast cancer community is one thing. I mean, she paved ways and roads for us and had conversations that everybody else was afraid to have. And, um, she taught me a lot. She taught me, she taught me more about my breast cancer than what I had ever known. And I had already been a five-year breast cancer patient. Um, it's just, I, I am so lucky to have had her so close in my life and, um, have gotten the opportunity to do something as crazy and outrageous as we did at New York Fashion Week. Well, I, I am so quiet because I'm sitting here crying because I I had heard so many wonderful things about Champagne Joy from my dear friend, Rebecca Timlin Scalera, who you know, um, was also this passionate trailblazer. And she created, now Champagne Joy spearheaded cancer land and all this advocacy efforts. Rebecca created her own, the Cancer Couch Foundation. And she did that, you know, like Champagne Joy from a hospital bed. And she yeah. made it her mission to educate the masses on the lack of funding for metastatic breast cancer. Now, here I was, nine years having breast cancer before the stage four breast cancer. In my story, I never knew that 30% of people with early stage diagnosis, that it would be, that it it could potentially return. Now, I also choose to look at that as, well, 70% of the people won't, won't get it again, but 30% is still a huge number. And Rebecca was fighting for her whole life. And I don't even want to use the word fighting. Fighting sounds so negative. Like she was spearheading and cheering to raise funds for metastatic breast cancer because that part, as you know, as Champagne Joy knew, 
is so underfunded. And just like Champagne Joy, Rebecca was larger than life. And I cannot say, I cannot give her as many accolades as she so deserves. But her husband wrote the most beautiful tribute to her in her obituary. And he talked about her being radiant. And that was, you know, Rebecca, that was truly her. She was not just a radiant mother and wife, you know, daughter, good friend, acquaintance. She was a neuropsychologist, right? She was a breast cancer activist. She was a division one athlete. She was a comedian. She, you know, through her diagnosis, got on stage and started going on the comedy circuit. She was a writer and such a good writer. And she was just this force of nature that she wholeheartedly loved everybody and everything in life. And I think, you know, just the two of them, I, I could envision when she told me they would be at the Norma Freem Center together. I can envision them then, and I can envision them now, you know, somewhere beyond drinking champagne, maybe green smoothies, you know, and in, in, in another hand, um, you know, wearing fun outfits. I mean, Rebecca was so very stylish too. I still mm-hmm. only wish I could, you know, could dress like that, but there's, you know, we're, we're here to not just share their story, um, and not just talk about what they did, but this sisterhood, or like I said, a brotherly bond that comes from sharing a diagnosis with somebody and how that is such a, almost this beautiful part of cancer that no one, no one wanted the cancer, but that, that, that you have that that we have that. So, I mean, I would love to hear your thoughts on, on when you, well, not when you entered the sisterhood, that sounds kind of funny, but uh, you know, what your thoughts are on this bond that brings us all together. It's interesting because I didn't get to experience it until very late in my breast cancer quote unquote journey, which is not a word I necessarily use to refer to myself as, but I think that what's interesting is that, um, the, the ways that I feel when I meet another cancer patient is that there's so much that goes on that's unspoken. And the reason why it's unspoken is because you can't scare or um, look into that person's eyes that you're telling something really deep and dark to. Like your friends that you have around you when you're diagnosed with cancer have no idea what you're going through. Right. And for the sake of saving them, I think a lot goes unsaid. And when you meet a cancer patient, I don't have to say to you or to a stranger that has cancer that I'm afraid to die. You are, I am, we all are. I don't have to speak the words out loud, but we can look in each other's eyes and understand that that's how we feel. I Mm -hmm. can't say that to my mother. I -hmm. can't say that to my sister or my best friend because what their reaction is on that side is now looking at you very differently than what they were looking at you before. Right. And we've seen that fear. We've experienced that look from the other side. And I think that that's the bond. The bond is, is that I don't have to tell you that I feel shitty about my body. I don't have to tell you that my side effects are ruining my life. I don't have to tell you that every morning I wake up and I say, oh shit, I just woke up. These are all things that so many of us are experiencing, but nobody talks about 
because, which will loop back around to metastatic breast cancer, because we would rather look at breast cancer like a happy, fun, celebratory pink ribbon with happy, jolly women jumping up and down and ringing bells and doing all of these things that seem like we're celebrating our breast cancer when we are not. I have not yet met somebody that looked at me and said, I have breast cancer with a smile on their face. Right. I I, listen, she might, or him might be out there. I haven't seen it happen. I don't, I would never tell somebody I had breast cancer with a smile on my face. Right. It's, it's not what happens in real life, but because of marketing, because of the conglomerate of the industry that's been generated and unbeknownst to us, unbeknownst to the patient, right? But because people saw a way to make money is a really, really like challenging thing to go up against. So when we feel bad about ourselves, we feel bad saying it because the world sees happy, smiling people living with breast cancer. You don't want to be the quote unquote depressed one or the sad one or the, you know, whatever that label is, because what you're feeling is not what's being delivered to you. And I think that that's really, really challenging, especially to a newly diagnosed person that doesn't even understand that that's what's happening to them yet. Yeah. I I mean, I hear you on all that. I do. I really like to always have hope and sometimes maybe to a fault. I want to have hope. It, It, but that is the call it a superpower that gets me through the day is that I want to find the positivity. I have found early on in my journey, I mean, like you, I was so very young. So nobody that I knew was young with breast cancer. And mind you, I mean, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but this was 2004. And so we didn't all have smartphones. And while there were some of these organizations that were out there, they didn't have apps. They didn't have the connectivity that we have now. And so I, I, I struggled finding people that could understand me. So instead I played the role of the cheerleader, which I actually really enjoy doing because I want to be the one that's out there like, yay, we can do it. Like there's, this is hard, but like, you know, let's work hard. Let's, let's, let's find a reason to smile. And I think some people need that to get through the hardship of what they're actually going through in the moment. Um, But on the same note, that doesn't mean behind the scenes, I wasn't crying to my husband, wondering if I was going to make it to my 32nd birthday. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, and and I agree with you. I, I say that in the sense that like, we know that we all have fears. Those fears are different for each and every one of us. When we, when we say our fear out loud, we're actually able to label it and identify it and then work through it. When we hide them deep into the pit of our stomach, we can't, right? Because we're not speaking openly about it. And I think that you and me both, 2010, I I joke, like I just transferred from MySpace to Facebook. Like like, we are totally old, but in the reality, it was a very different world that we were diagnosed in. You know, I think that there wasn't access. I had one young cancer support group in Denver, Colorado. And this is where survivor's guilt starts to play a factor. I said, I could never sit down to another young person like me who has brain cancer when all I have is breast cancer. Well, and I, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I have felt the same thing, whether it was early in my diagnosis 
exactly what you said, or even when I walk into the infusion lounge to where I see people hooked up, looking very sick, and I look healthy, albeit I have stage four disease, but I have, survivor guilt is so real. And you hear it and people write, you know, stories about it, but to feel it is different than to know it. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that we want to touch upon here. And I, I think this leads into, we were talking about our two friends. Yeah. Both of which have, have since passed away. And I have so many emotions with it that I'm scared a little bit to say, let alone make public, but the survivor guilt I feel, the um, the loss that, you know, not only do I miss her advocacy and Everything, everything she's doing, I know that that is is going to continue the efforts. But you know, her work, just like Champagne Joys, is amazing. Her leadership, but I miss my friend. I miss going through COVID nineteen, knowing that I have a compromised immunity, and I don't have her to go to and say, "I know you know what I'm going through." I don't know if I need solutions this moment. I just need somebody to understand. Right. And that, I think, so many of us in the survivorship, yeah, survivorship, being survivors, we get, we have people that are dying around us, especially when you've, you're in a circle of metastatic breast cancer thrivers. And I know that you've had to deal with this too. I don't know if you have wide wor- wise words or if you want to sit here and cry with me about what is it that we do other than try and hold on to their th- thoughts, their missions, and the love that they shared with us. I mean, listen, I, you and I both, right? I think when you step into the advocacy role, of breast cancer, uh, you're ill-prepared, but you become prepared very quickly. And the reality is, is I do believe it's a calling. I don't know if everybody is equipped to do it. And I think that that's okay. But I I had written a piece, um, actually before our fashion show where we did all stage four, uh, breast cancer patients in 2019. But, you know, I, I addressed the why fear uh, keeps the breast cancer community segregated in a way. Why early stagers can't support late stagers and late su- stagers don't necessarily always allow the early stagers in for the support. And I've been to more funerals. I've lost more friends and I've buried more friends than I literally can count anymore. And I learned very early how to mourn And that's not a normal thing for people to say or to do or a skill that you should be proud to have. Um, I feel like, you know, the hundred year old lady that (laughs) has seen, you know, her children potentially pass away and their children's children's pass away and their family's gone. They're like the last living member of that generation. You just, you just keep going. And there's a reality to say that, you know, death is real in the cancer community and you understand that. But I also feel like 
you're right. Like these are friends and people that are, are in my memories every day. You know, I think of my friend, Jill Conley, who still is in my favorites list on my iPhone uh-huh. um, because I can't, you know, I can't erase her number. Uh-huh. Um, doesn't matter that she's not there to take the call, right? It's just, um, those are very real things that we deal with as you become uh, the member that continues to keep going on year after year after year, if you choose to go into the advocacy role. And I think that this is what's, the balance of finding how to be an advocate, but also how to manage that part of your life, because you will meet an early stager that will metastasize. We know that that number is one in three. It's the reality for a third of us that are diagnosed. It's not a 10th. It's not a fifth. It's not 1%. It's a lot of us. And we, you know, that's why I fight for metastatic disease. Sure. Maybe sh- selfishly in my mind, I know that my feet step into those shoes at some point of time in my life. And I want there to be as many options for me when I do. But in the reality, I know we can't fix what we have now, but we can improve it for the future. And that's what matters to me and why I continue to fight this fight is that we have these incredible advocates like Rebecca, like Champagne. And when their voices are hushed because we weren't working fast enough and there weren't enough funds, it makes us that are closest to them work harder. Um, And I I think that that's the complex piece. I had a a neighbor of mine (laughs) a few years ago. I came home from yet another funeral And I was just really bummed out about this one. It was just a friend of mine that was really close and it was a beautiful funeral and I was just sad and pissed off at the world. And she looked at me and she goes, I think you need new friends. And (sighs) I looked at her and I was like, that's when like your mom's motto, you don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. I just walked away and I went into my house and like, started to throw things because I realized that how much of this world doesn't understand what we deal with on a daily basis. And your answer to my, you know, me missing my friend and being sad about bearing yet another friend was go get new friends. It was just, it's just, you see how much the world doesn't understand. And I think that that's what Rebecca and Champagne were really laying out, right? That was their legacy. Their legacy was like, nobody is talking about this, but we are going to. And it wasn't because it was easy. They both had the highest cliffs in front of them. And they just kept putting one hand, one foot, one hand, one foot in front of the other. And really, truly, like, I'm not even going to say paving the way, like digging the dugout. They started it. It all started with them. It started with so many advocates in, in that era because we had more access, less rules, more ability to educate and inform people. And that was just the beginning. And the, the intensity of it all in so many directions. I know Rebecca would countless times talk about how people are dying and, and we're dying. And she'd throw out the numbers because she was so good at that. And yeah. it would make people yeah. uncomfortable. And that's the point is that they're being uncomfortable in the audience 
really need, we need to result in helping save lives just because somebody's uncomfortable hearing the truth isn't a reason to not say it because that's the only way. I shouldn't say only, that's probably the only way that we as a society, as survivors are going to be able to have a better quality of life or live longer is through raising funds for metastatic breast cancer research. And when she opened my eyes to that, I was like, you know, wow, why did I not see that sooner? And she, I remember the day that she texted me to say, one of our research labs at Dana-Farber is working on a protocol. If Ibrance, which is my chemo pill, stops working, mm-hmm. here's the next line of defense. This is for you, Karen. Oh. I know. <laughs> and I, you know, and, and I'm like, this can be, she was on Ibrance for a moment too. And like, this could be for you too. Or this, I wanted to have hope that she was going to be there with me. We had talks of starting our own podcast and going on the speaking engagement tour together because she loved a microphone and she was so good at it. And so our plans and the plans that she had with so many people because she was so loved and she gave so much love out are not as I guess we all had hoped. But I know for me, and I can only talk about my grief, I guess, and my dealing with loss is I found a way similar, like you said, with, with Jill is, you know, her number still in my phone. I still, as I clean out my email, e- email box, I have so many emails that we sent back and forth about the fundraiser, the cancer beat as a part of the cancer couch foundation. And I, I keep those and I talk to her. Okay. I know it sounds far out, but like when I miss her, I think about, okay, Rebecca, we would have, you know, sometimes you talk out loud anyway to yourself, right? And I'm, and I, I, maybe it sounds silly, but it makes me feel like she's still here as a part of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that you've been involved in the community probably longer than I have. So as you mentioned, you've been to far more funerals than, uh, than, than I have. Uh, so I don't know if this works for other people, but you know, I guess it's what's been helping me work through my loss. And and I also feel kind of guilty. Like I was just a good friend. She has such a loving family and so many other people that were a part of her world and that are a part of her sphere. And so there's just such, you know, if you are like, whether you're dealing with a, a loss of cancer or a loss of anything. There are just so many different ways to grieve. You know, I don't know what to suggest, but I know what works for me. And that has been, you know, kind of writing it out, speaking to her or to loved ones about it. I don't know what's worked for you. I think I, I pass away all of the positive memories and I pack away the impact that my friends had made either on me or on others. And I really just, I choose, I choose to remember those things. Um, I think that that's for me, uh, 
you know, religious or not religious. It's just, we're here on this earth for certain reasons. None of us know what they are. Um, I have to believe that those were the reasons why they were here and that their lives weren't cut short. It wasn't a negative thing. It was because something that they were here to do, they did it. And that was their cycle. And I just feel like there's moments in time that are identified in that space. And I, you know, I'm just going through my head, my head is spinning with like the memories of so many people. Right. And, and I just think about somebody like Champagne Joy. I mean, what she was able to accomplish in five years puts most people's entire lifetime to shame. Yeah, that's like Rebecca. Right? <laughs> so you can't be sad about that. Um, at least I don't want to be sad about that. I want to say, she, you know, she did what she was supposed to do. And, um, and of course, could have we all taken more from her? Yeah, we could have. But I think that the reality is, is like, we got what we got. And I'm just thankful that she made an impact on so many people and changed the lives of so many people. I mean, I remember her first Twitter war when, <laughs> my God, when her insurance company wouldn't pay for the life-saving drug that her doctor was prescribing to her. She <sighs> got them to give her the drug. After that, it changed the landscape of what patients were doing for their own self-advocacy. She said, you know what? You want to tell me no? Great. I got an army and we're, I'm going to descend that army on you. And she would. That has changed advocacy from the second she sent out that first tweet. I, I mean, that is what's so amazing about today's day and age is that we have the opportunity to be an advocate or to reach out. We were talking about finding this, finding other survivors that you can connect with. When you were talking about the, the Denver group, they don't have to be here in your backyard. They can. And most hospitals or cancer organizations have local chapters that you can connect with, right? But you can do it through an online community. I know there's a woman named Susan who followed me on Pretty Wellness. And we started connecting because we both have metastatic stage four cancer. And then she ended up doing an event for Rebecca with the cancer couch. And since then we have become this, we have this very special bond. I met her first through Twitter. And so whether it's the support you're getting or as Champagne Joy so beautifully, or I don't know if beautiful is the right word, when she started the Twitter war, like she brought together her army and she taught us that you can be a patient advocate for yourself, whether you're in person or whether you're behind a screen. You just need to connect with someone or talk about it. For sure. And I mean, I, so for, to your point, I'm so grateful, not, I didn't know her, but I am so grateful to know, to have known of her and to have heard so many stories uh, from Rebecca about her. And then of course, through, you know, through social media as well. So I, I feel like what I'd love to do is there's two things before we end that I want to do briefly in the spirit of our friends who love to have fun and have a good time. Will you tell us, like share with us something fun that you like to do to let off steam or to celebrate? Uh, What would listeners love to know about Dana? Oh my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> if anybody knows me, they're going to totally roll their eyes because this won't be a surprise. But for those that don't, um, I would turn on Janet Jackson's Black Cat. Oh my gosh. Like, as loud as it can go. And I will just rock out and dance and scream the lyrics because it's just um, it's so much me. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's like your theme song, right? Maybe we if, should. If I had a theme song, it would be Janet Jackson's Black Cat. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love, I love, I love, I love that. Uh, I think for me, I'm all about, I'm all about song. I'm all about dance. I love to have a little my own dance parties where I feel like when you're upset, no matter what hardship you have, music can really, especially if you love music, music can help revive your soul. And I know my friend Rebecca was so, she and her husband were both so into music. Uh, the other thing I'll tell you I do, which is, I don't, I've, I don't know if I've admitted this to too many people, is I write <laughs> cheers. They're not very good cheers. They really just come to me at random times. Like, um, Stinky Stink Pot is the one that I wrote for my son when he was a... Uh, a baby in diapers. And now I use it with my puppy and it's like, you're very stinky. Yeah. Yeah. You stinky stink pot. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. You stink a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So I know it's silly and stupid. And I hope everybody now is probably rolling their eyes at me, but it makes me laugh. And sometimes when I am just having a bad day, I just need to like burst into a cheer um, that will kind of break that um, that mold of you know feeling a little bit of doom and gloom so I'm great I love that I'm gonna I'm gonna start cheering You're I'm going to, to I'm gonna I'm gonna take that with me and I'm gonna just well I'll teach around. you other ones I've got burposaurus <laughs> that I don't use that one too much anymore but like it's a really fun way you know to laugh at yourself and I find that laughing yeah. at myself gets me through. So I am so grateful you're here. I would love to end this episode with what, um, how we end most episodes. And this, like I know, has, has been a really special, special episode, which frankly, listeners, I was really nervous about because I wanted to be sure that I was honoring my dear friend, Rebecca, and, and Dana's friend, um, Joy, as well as or Champagne Joy, as well as so many other of those breast cancer survivors, sisters, brothers, uh, you know, thrivers, whoever we may be. And so I'm sending big hugs out to all of you. We've all been touched by cancer. We've all been touched by hardship. So here's how we play. Would you play this grateful game with me, Dana? Yes. All right. So here's what we do. I do this with my son most nights. We spend a certain amount of time, and I'm going to say 30 seconds, just quick, to come up with a few things that we're grateful for and why. The most important part is why, because I could just sit here and, and give you a laundry list of things I'm grateful for, but I will, um, I will start, and then I'll toss it to you, and then we'll wrap it up. How's that sound? Amazing. Okay. Go. All right. So ready, <laughs> set, go. I am so incredibly grateful for my little puppy because he is such, he's a cavapoo and he is so in love with me. He is so in love with me and make, gives me this, I've never had an animal before. And so I never knew what it was like to have that unconditional love. And he finally today learned how to run up the stairs and it's because he heard me walking around up here. So, oh my goodness, that's 30 seconds. I only have one, but I'm still filled with love. So I'm tossing it to you. Oh my God. I love that. And I'm not piggybacking, but I was going to say that I'm super grateful for my morning belly rubs with my boy Hooch, who <sighs> is a Ridgeback. 
and I love him dearly. I'm a super huge dog person. You are. I, I can and, know. like not ever not have one in my life. It's just like so many. We could have a podcast about dogs, but I'll tell you, it's so funny because he jumps up in the middle of the night, 75 pound Ridgeback. He snuggles up with me in the bed. My husband hates it. And then the second I tweak or I move in the morning, as if I'm about to wake up, he pushes himself over, rolls onto his back and sits in belly rub mode until I oh, wake up. That so, is awesome. <laughs> the reason why I'm grateful for it is because he's like my little moment of peace where I don't look at my phone. Yeah. I don't think about anything that's on the plate of my day. I just stretch and I give him his belly rub and then I scratch his legs and I stretch. So like I get a morning stretch by like giving my dog love. Well, <laughs> so crazy. I can understand that now because I'm, I wasn't a dog person. I never had an animal. I was scared of most dogs, but now I understand. And like you said, I, by accident, sometimes leave my phone at home when we go on a walk and it's maybe the most peaceful part of my day. Right? Because I'm yeah, so present totally. and I'm so connected. Mm -hmm. And guess what? We tied because you and I both had one and it doesn't matter. I will always say I'm not really competitive. I'm competitive with myself, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. I just love to be able to end my days with my son. And in this case, our conversation with something positive. And oftentimes when going through any hardship, cancer or anything. It doesn't have to be. It's just day-to-day -day hardship. When we tap into gratitude, it gives us a tool to be able to find a little bit of joy during whatever journey we're on. So thank you so much, Dana, for having this conversation with me, for enlightening the listeners, and for all you listeners out there, there's so many resources and suggestions that we can give to you if you've been touched by cancer if you've been touched by hardship and loss specifically, I will include those in the show notes because I, I want to make sure that you've got access to them as well. So thank you again, Dana. Thank you so much. And, and I just want to add that uh, even though this conversation is heavy, it does come with light and love and energy um, of even getting to share these past and previous stories of our dear, dear friends and um, knowing that metastatic breast cancer research is a seriously underfunded, underutilized segment of the entire breast cancer industry, where arguably 2 to 3% of the money given actually goes to researching, furthering treatments for stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. So please know where your money is going. Um, I'm sure you would also be happy to include places that are funding research to keep you and our friends and our loved ones here with us for one more day. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And there are two organizations that we are both so connected with. You are such a huge part of Metaviver and they fund metastatic breast cancer research. And I'm a board member of the Cancer Couch Foundation, which also, also puts all their money towards metastatic breast cancer research. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you for listening and to Dana again for being here today. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. 
And tell your friends about us too. If you love us, they might as well. And now, my parting words. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode and here is why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who was thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self-care, creating everyday practices that help improve your body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, one of those things is focusing on gratitude, which brings me tremendous positive energy. Now, I am incredibly grateful for my dear, dear, dear friend, whom I love like a sister, Dr. Rebecca Timlin Scalera. She found the Cancer Couch Foundation from her hospital bed because she learned how metastatic breast cancer research was vastly underfunded, and she wanted to make a difference, and she has. She has made a huge difference, and her efforts will continue with your help. As you heard from this episode, Rebecca texted me just a few years ago that one of the labs being funded by the Cancer Couch Foundation was working on research to better understand why patients with my type of breast cancer might resist treatment. Literally, this research could and will save my life. This research can and will save so many lives. So please check out the link in the show notes, show notes to donate or Google the Cancer Couch Foundation. 100% of donations and event proceeds are matched and go to fund metastatic breast cancer research at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Now, if you know a cancer patient or caregiver that might need a little bit of a pick-me-up, my book, Happiness Through Hardship, also can be a gift to them. And half of the proceeds from all the book sales are going back to the Cancer Couch Foundation as well. Now, thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.